Thank you so much. Good to be back here at Fellowship Church. Been coming here for a long time. It's been six years since I was here. So I'm just going to come every six years whether I'm invited or not. But uh, I used to come every year and do a lot of stuff with young people. And, and uh, so we developed a relationship with, with Pastor and, and Joan. And, and uh, we value that relationship. You know, there's a lot of things about the, the kingdom of God that we are to value. Clearly the Lord, right? How many value the Lord? First and foremost. We value the word. You know, a lot of people say that they, they love the Lord, but they don't love his word. If you don't love his word, you don't love him. See you next six years. <laughs> you understand, you, you can't separate the word from God or the word from, or the God from his word. Like, you can't separate each other from our words. So a lot of people say, oh, yes, I love the word. Oh, I love the word. Oh, yes. But we can say that, but we're, we're only, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, which means obey. In other words, obey my word. So if we don't obey the word, we don't love him. Right? But what I'm getting to here is there's so many things that we're to value in the kingdom of God. And there are priorities of that, of course, but one of the things we're to value is our relationships. And every time we get together, we, I, I saw them, they saw me in, in February, it's just like there was no time in between. We pick up right where we were left off, and that's how like-spirited relationships are when you're tracking the same track, going the same direction. I was with uh, Greg and Charity just last month, just a few weeks ago, and... Uh, they're doing a great job. They they just they're just they're on fire. That they, they they work so hard. And a lot of people will ask them, and 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 we worked them really hard when they were with us. We worked them really hard. Just like Pastor Mike saying, we there was one particular trip we did we did fourteen years in a row where we finished on a Friday night in Green Lake, Wisconsin. And we got to be in Northern California on Sunday morning. Well, there's only one way to make that trip unless you have your own aircraft, but there's 15, of, 15 interns, use 10 to 15 interns. We have a trailer and we have 15 interns packed in this van, 15 passenger van. And they don't have any place to lay down. They don't have any place. So, so they're just laying on each other, you know, the whole trip. It's a straight-through trip. And I'm calling them all through the night because I'm flying because I'm usually having to beat them out there. And I call them one night, and I said, where are you guys? And they told me where they were, and I said, why are you there? Why are you in North Dakota? <laughs> now, if you draw a straight line between central Wisconsin in Sacramento, California, you don't end up in North, North Dakota. So they were four hours behind because somebody was asleep at the map, not the wheel, but the map. <laughs> you know, and now young people would use their, their phone for GPS. I don't trust those either because <laughs> I've been led astray by GPS. But 
Then I call him another night, and Greg answers the phone. And I said, where are you guys? He says, he says uh, we're actually on top of a mountain. It, it's a 16-degree uh, grade. Now, you know, interstates are not allowed to have anything above 6 degrees. And so they're, they're in a 15-passenger van full with a trailer behind them. 16 degrees and they said we've actually pulled over because the brakes are so hot i said what are y'all doing on that road this is north of yosemite i was just there a couple weeks ago and so they're stuck on this road because again somebody was asleep at the map so they have some stories to tell but they work so hard and they work so hard now and they're they're asked this question they brought this up to me, they're asked this question by people in their church and their ministry. Why, why do y'all work so hard? You know, you're, you're, you, you, you're always doing something. And they said, because this is, this is our calling. This is what we do. But more importantly, this is not just what we do. This is who we are. Amen? So, when, when you see staff serving, giving, it's not because that's just a job, but that's who they are. Amen? Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Jude, which is right before Revelation. Jude, only one chapter in Jude. Excuse me, one, yeah, one chapter in Jude. Look at verse 3. Jude, verse 3. It says, Beloved, so this is talking to us as believers. When I gave all diligence to write unto you the, of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you, in other words, necessary, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend. Now, I've got this board up here, and I hope you can see it. This, this word earnestly is an interesting word which means to fight. Now we, in the English, we don't think earnestly. Earnestly just means sincerely in our vernacular. But actually in the Greek, it means to fight. The word contend, contend, means to wrestle so there's a double emphasis on this statement to earnestly contend for the faith there's a double emphasis in other words we're to be serious about the fight that we're in because what is what does first timothy 6 12 say fight the good fight of faith right now why is the fight I know you're extremely well taught here and have been for, for 40 years. But why does it say to fight the good fight? What makes it a good fight? Because it's a fight that we win. It's a fight that's actually already been won by Jesus. So why do we need to fight? Because you didn't win it. And there's still a warfare going on in you and in me. Not for what Jesus did, but that warfare 
is a contention within ourselves. What did Paul say in Galatians? He said very clearly, and this identifies that we could turn there, but it, well, I'm, I'm going to save you a little time. He said, we're to walk in the Spirit so we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That was written to the church at Galatia. These are believers, Spirit-filled believers, just like you and me. The church at Galatia. He's saying, you, you must walk in the Spirit so you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, if we don't walk in the Spirit, our flesh takes supremacy. Don't try it at home. You're just going to have to trust me. So the warfare that's in us and the reason we need to fight the fight of faith is so our flesh won't gain supremacy in our lives. We stay in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We walk by faith, not by sight. The just or the righteous shall walk by faith or shall live by faith. We're commanded as the righteous people, born-again people, to walk by faith. And when I talk about faith, and again, you're well taught, but when the Bible talks about faith, it's not talking about some mamsy-pamsy generic belief system. It's talking about the spirit of faith. It's talking about real commitment. I like what the, what the Amplified, anytime you see the word believe in the New Testament, for the most part, and the Amplified, or faith, it identifies three specific things. Those who it adhere to, trust in, and rely on. How many, of you, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, well, I've tried that faith stuff? How many, how many have heard that said before? I've tried faith. You don't try faith. You adhere to it. You trust in it. You, you commit to it. Amen? You rely on it. It's a spirit that we live by. It's an attitude. It's, a, it, it's not a formula. Everybody wants to make it a formula. It's not a formula. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's a total commitment. Come on, somebody. Now, I'll, I'll, let me give you a wimpy, really wimpy, but real simple illustration. When you came in tonight, you weren't concerned about what you sat on. You might have been concerned about where you sat. Talk to Pastor Mike. This has probably been 10 years ago, 8 years ago. When did y'all get in this building? 2002. 2002. So it was after that. So this is probably about 10 years ago. And um, we were talking about Christians being creatures of habit because humans are. And he said he took a five Sunday month. And I think you were having a, a month that had a theme like friends or something like that to show yourself friendly, those kinds of things. And he challenged you to, to sit in a new place every Sunday that month. Anybody remember that? Yeah. And I said, what happened on the sixth Sunday? He said, oh, they moved back to the original spot. Because <laughs> we're creatures of habit. But you, you tonight, you did not concern yourself or fret one iota about what you were going to sit on. You came in and you committed everything you had to that pew or that chair in the back. You, you, did, you didn't even think about it. You didn't even give it a moment's thought. Maybe where, maybe 
family or you know where you usually sit or whatever but you didn't you didn't commit one one moment's thought about what you're going to sit on how many considered sitting on the floor tonight anybody nobody how many considered sitting on the on the stage tonight anybody no you didn't consider what you considered where but not on what in other words you totally without even thinking about it committed to that pew and your life is in in the hands of that pew your life your life is committed to that pew and this concrete and the dirt and rock underneath it but you didn't think about that now i know that's a simple lame illustration for for faith but that's the kind of commitment faith requires you don't you don't even consider anything else you're a person of faith this this is what you do this is who you are it's a total commitment every day in other words i didn't just decide to walk by faith the day i got born again i decide every day to walk by faith i i don't wait i don't wait something bad happens to walk by faith you know i'm convinced that right now in our society in our world not just our nation but our world that we're very similarly attached to a familiar story in mark 4 let's look at mark 4 we'll come back to jude let's look at mark 4 we all know this story, whether you remember where it's found or not. It's the story where Jesus said to his disciples when the evening came, let us pass over to the other side. Right? So he just taught the parable of the sower. He just taught the parable of the mustard seed. And so he said, verse 35, let us pass over to the other side. And they sent away the multitude and took him even as he was in the ship and there were also with him other little ships so here's a jesus armada going here and there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full what was it full of water and as you've heard all your life it's not the water outside your boat that's the problem it's the water that gets in the boat that's the problem right so this is a big problem the water is in the boat now, a lot of people wonder, well, well, well did, did this surprise them? Did it? The Sea of Galilee is known for tempest. The Sea of Galilee is known for problems with storms. Why? Because it's only 30 feet deep in most places. It's a lake more than it's a sea. My dad was a Marine, uh, even though I only lived with my dad until I was four years old. But he brought back pictures from, from being a Marine during the Korean War. And they were, in the, they were in the North Sea. And he's got this old grainy black and white of these huge waves in the North Sea. And in between the waves was the bottom of the North Sea. It's only 30 feet deep there. That's why in the oil field, I worked in offshore drilling wigs outside of Baytown, Texas, which is outside of Houston, but thank God it was hundreds and thousands of feet deep. 
and not the North Sea. The North Sea is known as one of the most violent places. There are more shipwrecks there than any other place in the world except the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> but the reason the North Sea is so violent is because two reasons. Number one, it's so far north and the Gulf Stream comes from the Gulf of Mexico, Florida, etc., and goes up by Bermuda. That's why Bermuda, even though it's so far north, is so nice in the winter. And it goes all the way up past Great Britain. That's why it snows in Great Britain very little. But yet, it's not that far south of Scandinavia, which snows all the time. But it's foggy and rainy in Great Britain all the time because you have this warm water during the fall and winter from this cold water from the north and they meet and so it creates fog, it creates rain, but it also, when that cold north air meets that warm gulf air, kaboom, violent storms. And so that's what happens in the North Sea. And so in this picture, you can see the bottom of the North Sea. Well, that's very similar to the Sea of Galilee. It's extremely violent. Everybody in that ship knew that. That was not a surprise to them. So here's this violent storm. And this is what I want you to see here. Jesus, Jesus is the epitome of earnestly contending for the faith. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus is the poster child for earnestly contending for the faith. So when Jesus made a statement, let us pass over to the other side, how many know as a Jew, talking to Jews, he did not say that in that vernacular? Let us pass over to the other side. He said something to the effect of, boys, let's go over there to the other side. It's a commandment. And everything necessary for them to get to the other side was in that commandment. It's his word. He didn't say, what do y'all think about going on a boat ride tonight? He didn't say, hey, let's pray about going on the other side. No, it's a commandment. Let's do it. Right? So within that commandment, everything necessary for them to get to the other side was in his words. That's why he was asleep. Not because he was just tired. Clearly he was. But he's, he's the picture of peace. Asleep on a pillow in the hindered part of the ship. The disciples were so upset. They were so upset. They were so actually angry that they came to him. And look at it, it says they came to him. Not two of them, not three of them, not six of them. All 12 disciples. Why? Because they were cowardly. I'll prove it to you in a second. They were angry. In other words, one of them was not enough. They're all going to do it. And look at, look at what they said in verse 38. He was in the inner part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? 
Now, again, these are Jews. You know they didn't say it like that. Jews can't talk without their arms and their hands swinging, kind of like Italians. Really, everybody in the entire Middle East is that way. The Greeks, the Italians, the, the North Africans, everybody in the entire Middle East, the Syrians, the, 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 the Lebanese, I mean, they're talking like this and they're loud. They didn't say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Master, Master, excuse us. No, they were mad. They were fearful. They were scared out of their wits. Notice his response. Now remember, he's the person who earnestly contends for the faith. Notice his response. He arose. What does that tell me? Jesus always stood against storms. Jesus always stood against opposition and adversity. He didn't roll back over and go to sleep. He didn't ignore it. He didn't deny the storm. Come on. You see, this is a picture of faith here. This, this, this is the picture of faith. You stand up to the storm. You stand up against adversity. You don't roll back over or you don't just wish it would go away. Amen. So he arose and he rebuked the wind. What does that mean? He spoke against it. And he said unto the sea, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you what he, from, from the Greek, what he actually said to the wind was, silence! He told it to shut up. Because the wind's the problem. The wind's what drives those waves. When Hurricane Sally made landfall early this morning, the wind drove the water storm surge into Pensacola, right? One part of the bay was dry land, not dry land, but it was, there was no water where the wind had blown it out. The wind is what drives waves. It's not just the lunar, lunar schedule. That, that can affect it, but the wind is what drives those waves. And so this wind was driving the waves. Jesus knew that the wind was the problem. So what did he say? Silence! Wind can't be seen, but wind can be heard. And he told it to shut up. When you and I face a storm of adversity, it screams loudly at us. And we need to speak back to it. We need to rebuke it. We need to stand up against it. Come on, somebody. Whatever it is. If it's physically, if it's, if it's financially, if it's mentally, if it's uh, uh, oppression or whatever, it is, you need to speak to it. Why? Because it's, it's, the, the devil yells at you. The devil speaks loudly to you in his thoughts or situations or circumstances. And you, you need to answer it. Amen. Don't negotiate. Don't barter. Rebuke it. Amen? That, that's what he's doing. And he said, the wind, or then he said, peace be still. That word said there is a Greek word that we all recognize. Lego. Do you know what Lego means in English? Because it's a Greek word. It means 
excruciating pain in the middle of the night. No, I'm kidding. That's what happens when you step on them in the middle of the night. So Lego means building blocks. They dis- they, the Lego company designed the toy building blocks, and they came up with one word that describes it. So Lego means building blocks. It's used all through the New Testament. So what did Jesus do? He rebuked the wind. He told it to shut up. But now what's he doing? He's building something with his words. Peace. Be still. And what happened? The wind ceased. The waves became calm. We say, well, that's Jesus. Isn't that nice? He told us to do the same thing. You know that the same word Lego is used in Mark eleven twenty three. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, that's a different Greek word. Let me write it for you. We won't turn there, but all of you know what Mark eleven twenty three says. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, E P O, is the first word say, Epo, which means. To command. You command your mountain. You don't barter with your mountain. You don't negotiate with your mountain. When Jesus spoke to the storm, he was epoing. He was commanding it to shut up. Amen. And then he said, whosoever. Remember what verse 22 says in Mark 11? Have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. The Greek New Testament says, has God's faith. In other words, we, we have just been commissioned by the king of the universe to operate and function in the exact same faith God operates in. We are licensed to walk in the God kind of faith. We're licensed by the king of kings. Amen. So a lot of people say, well, that was Jesus. He's different. Well, that Jesus licensed you to walk in the same faith he walked in. Come on. So we epo, we command the mountain. So whoever shall, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. In other words, that's a commandment. Be removed. Didn't say, oh, I, I just pray you'll be removed. No, 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 no. Be removed. He's commanding it. It's the same word, but it's over in the Old Testament is in Hebrew. Where in in the King James it says, when God said, let there be light. You understand that that's King James again. He didn't say, let there be light. He said, light be. It's a command. You know, when you command stuff, you're not negotiating. It's the difference between a parent that understands their authority and the parent that's negotiating with that child. You know, you know, the Hy-Vee child or the Walmart child. We've all been there. Yesterday it was a child, uh, two seats behind me on the airplane. Oh, my goodness. I wanted to get up and command the parents. It was disgusting. I mean, the flight attendants had to get involved because the child wouldn't sit down and wouldn't, wouldn't put on a seatbelt. And the child's five or six years old. I mean, 
should have been well taught. But I digress. So Jesus is using the God kind of faith in Mark eleven twenty three. He's teaching us the God kind of faith that we're to command things that are out of order. Right? We're not to negotiate with them. We're, we're, not, to, we're not to convince them. We're not to, we're not, we're, we're not to well, well, would you please do, stop doing this? Would you? No, 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 no. You command it. That's the kind of authority we walk in. We are to walk in as believers. So we command that mountain and shall not doubt in your heart. How do you know you're doubting in your heart? No confidence, no boldness. When there's no confidence, you're not in faith. You're in doubt. Think through that now. The righteous are as timid as a kitty cat. No, that's not what it says. We're bold as a lion. The righteous, those in right standing with God, we have the right to be bold in our faith. Well, how are you going to be bold in your faith? By having your identity in Christ. Because your authority comes from your identity. Now that's a whole seminar right there. Your authority comes from your identity. And you, you know that you can identify with many things, but you only have one identity. And your authority always comes from your identity. So it's necessary that you have your identity in Christ because that's where your greatest authority comes from. My dad was a rodeo champion. He's in the Texas Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame. He's in the, the, uh, the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs. He's in the National Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma City. That's, that's the granddaddy. That's the big one. He was even on their board for almost 30 years. So he was a great rodeo champion. He's in, the, he's in all those halls of fame. That, mean, that meant that he won a whole lot of rodeos and he won a lot of money. We've never, we never saw it as kids, but he won a whole lot of money. The problem was he had, a, he had a gambling addiction and he lost it before he got home. But here's my point. You can choose to have your identity in any area of your life. For my dad, it was his job. That was his, he was a rodeo cowboy. And your, your authority comes from your identity. So you can have your identity as a cowboy. You can have your identity as a farmer. You can have your identity as a pilot. You can have your identity, you know, as a boxer. You can have your identity as a nurse. And you can have great authority in those areas. But why limit your authority? When you can have your authority in the kingdom of God by having Jesus as your Lord, Amen. And following him, and there are, our identity is in him. In other words, we're supposed to be conforming to his image and have our, we, we're supposed to live and move and have our being in him. Therefore, we can have our identity in him. Consequently, our authority comes from him, not from our job, not from whatever, right? Amen. So when you have that kind of authority, whoa. There's no doubt. There's no if, ands, or buts. You have complete confidence because actually it's not your authority that you're dealing with. It's his. So we can have complete confidence, and the enemy wants to put that self-doubt in us all the time, but we don't have to play that game of self-doubt because 
it's Jesus' authority we're operating in in the first place. So we, do, we don't doubt in our heart, but believe those things which we sayeth. Second word say here, different Greek word. L-A-L-E-O, laleo. Which means to boldly declare. So we don't doubt in our heart, but we boldly declare what we believe. Does this line up with all the scriptures you've learned your whole, your whole church life here? That we're, to, we're to, not to cast away our confidence, but what, what, what we're supposed to do? We're, we're supposed to hold fast to our confession of faith, our profession of faith, right? So we hold fast. In other words, we don't let go of it. Why? Because that's our identity, and that's where our authority comes from. So doubt can't creep in when you're confessing and speaking the Word of God all the time. Doubt's not allowed in that spirit. So, then we get to the last word, you shall have whatsoever you what? Say, here it is, L-E-G-O, Lego. We can have whatever we build with our mouth. In other words, don't get stuck on just commanding. Don't get stuck on, stuck on just boldly declaring. We got to do all three. We also got to build something with our mouth. Amen? That's what he was doing. He was saying, peace, be still. He was building peace into that. He already, he already commanded the wind, rebuked the wind. He told it to be silent. But now he's saying, peace, be still. In other words, he's believing those things which be not as though they were. Romans 4, 17. He was speaking what he wanted to see, not what he saw. You notice in this story in Mark 4, there's not one time that Jesus said, Wow, guys, this is a, this is a tough one. Look at this. Look at all that water in the boat. That's what a lot of us would do. I mean, we'd wake up, we'd be in shock. But you know, when they approached him, what did they say? Master, carest thou not that we perish? They didn't really say that. You know what they actually said? Don't you love us? You brought us out here to kill us. You brought, it out, you brought us out here to die. We're going to die out here. Do something. In other words, they were in torment. Why were they in torment? Because they were in fear. Fear has torment. First John, fear has torment, right? So they were tormented by the fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So they weren't in love. They were in strife with Jesus. By saying, you don't care. In other words, you don't love us. You don't love us enough. You brought us out here. It wasn't our idea to go on a boat ride tonight. Remember, Peter's fishermen, they, they know full well what the storms do in Galilee. They were in fear. Fear tormented them, and therefore, they're out of their minds. Do you all have the God's Word translation? Can you pull that up? You don't, you don't have it? I'll just quote it for you. Look at... Verse 40, obviously it says the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Look at verse 40. 
And he said unto them, here's the King James, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? This is what he really said to them. Why are you such cowards? Why don't you have faith yet? It's what the God's Word translation says. It's pulled from the Greek. Why are you such cowards? So he wasn't finished rebuking when he rebuked the storm. (laughs) Now he's rebuking the disciples. Now, I'm going to give the disciples a little bit of a pass. This is only chapter 4. They've just been three chapters into this walk with God, with Jesus. I mean, come on. They're still rookies, man. I mean, they're, they're, they're still greenhorns. But Jesus is serious. He rebuked them for being cowardly. What would he say to us today in 2020? How would he address the body of Christ today, many of which are still hiding at home? Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not getting ugly. I'm not being specific. But generally, the churches that have reopened, many of them are still closed in my town, your town, all, all, the, all the whole nation. Many churches have never reopened. I was talking to Tommy Barnett, great man of God. He's 86 years old. He's got more air miles than I do. Of course, he's older than me, but but we've flown a lot of planes together, and we've spoken at some of the same conferences. And he was, he was talking to a Pentecostal denomination leader, and, th- and this, is what, this is what that leader told him, that they're expecting that a thousand of their churches will never reopen. Pentecostal, that means spirit-filled. But yet, headquarters is fully expecting that a thousand of their churches will not reopen. Ever. Ever. And of the churches that have reopened, here's the national average, only a fifth of their congregations have come back to church. Now let me, let me throw you a little curveball here. We've been on top of these numbers from day one. We, we, we put them on a big whiteboard and, uh, and up on the screen. I get a, a CDC email every month, sometimes twice, three times a month. Back from my public school assembly days, I would get faxes from the CDC in Atlanta about sexually transmitted diseases and stuff that I'm talking to young people about. Well, now I still get them, but they're emails and I, I found something, Pastor Mike, that absolutely awakened me to what's going on back in March. So at the 1st of April, usually the, the first two or three days of the month, I get this email. 1st of April, I get this email of the top 10 deaths, causes of death in the United States of America. Now, this is not a trick question. But can you answer for me the past 30 to 40 years what the top two deaths, causes of death in the United States are? Number one, heart disease. Number two, cancer. Those two have not changed the last 40 years. 
The bottom eight of the top ten fluctuate. For the most part, they're the same, or they, they'll flip-flop around from five to seven or whatever. But the top two, heart disease by far, cancer number two. Not April. Not from March. It was COVID-19. The leading cause of death in the United States. And so I've been watching this for 40 years, you know. I've been in the ministry 42 years, so I'm, I'm watching this all these years. And so I'm seeing the top two causes of the death now just took a backseat to COVID-19. Hmm. You mean heart disease just went away? You mean cancer quit? It got quit. It got beat by COVID-19? I don't think so. This is a scamdemic, folks. Is a disease true? Yes. COVID-19 is a real disease. But the way it's been manipulated, the numbers. There was a couple that they were up late one night and the wife asked her husband. Now, every husband in here knows that there are loaded questions late at night. You better, you better not be dozing off. You better be awake. Or, you, or plead the fifth if it's late, too late for you. But she asked him, have I lost weight during COVID and during quarantine? He did not choose wisely. He said, you, you were never skinny in the first place. <laughs> Time of death, 11 p.m. <laughs> Cause of death, COVID-19. We better get back to Jude. Look at Jude. So we're, we're supposed to be in this fight. We're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. Do y'all have the Amplified? You can pull up the Amplified. Look, look, look at verse 4. I'll read it here in the King James. We'll, we'll look at the Amplified in a second on the screen. It says, for there, there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, look at the Amplified here. It says, for certain men have crept in stealthily. In other words, they're slick. They, they're slick operators. And they, 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 they come in stealthily, gaining entrance secretly by a side door. Now, now how, do you, how do you know that's a bad thing? Well, what did Jesus say about who enters into what door? Yeah. If you don't enter into the front door, you're a thief and a hireling. Isn't that what he said? Yeah. In other words, you're not, a, you're not a true shepherd if you come in slick willy way. I'm not referring to Arkansas governor, former Arkansas governor, but if the shoe fits, wear it. <laughs> it says... Their doom was predicted long ago. Ungodly, impious, profane persons who pervert the grace of our God or the spiritual blessing of favor. Now, the Amplified gets kind of stuck on a stuck on definition of, of, of uh, unmerited favor for the word grace. But grace is way more than favor and blessing. Grace is God's very empowerment 
resident in the life of every believer. It's his force that's on the inside of us. It's his dunamis, his ability on the inside of us. That's what his grace is. In other words, God, when he calls us all and he calls every one of us, he, called, he has called every single person, the youngest to the oldest, he calls us, he also graces us or equips us for the calling. So whatever he's, whatever he's told you to do, he's going to give you the equipping and the equipment to do it and to accomplish it. So they've perverted that grace into lawlessness and wantonness and immorality. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty strong language. And disown and deny our soul master and Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That sounds like 2020. People that have taken God's grace and brought it into a license to sin and live an ungodly life. Because, you know, after all, we're forgiven. Pastor Mike has gotten around, you know, because of his relationships with other ministers. I have too. I've traveled in, in thousands of churches now. And I have a relationship with a lot of pastors. And Every time I'm around a group of pastors, many times they will address a relationship that they no longer have with people who have perverted God's grace into something that it's not proper. And that happened here. It's identifying something. So why, that's why he told us in verse 3 that we had to fight for this faith. We have to stand firm in the faith. It's not enough for your pastor and the staff to fight the fight of faith for you. You have to stand up and become the person of faith that you're called to be, that he wants to equip you to be. Come on, somebody. So we must contend for our relationships. We must contend for our authority, our territory, our peace, our joy. Amen? We should fight for our marriages. We should fight for our children. We should fight for our church. We should fight for our destiny. We should fight for our community by faith. Now let me close with reading something from Rick Renner. If you don't read much from Rick Renner, you should, because it's just filled with such great wisdom and background. And this is what he said. As God's word is losing its once honored place in the mainstream of society, darkness is filling the vacuum. A society that once had a general knowledge of God and his word is progressively moving into a critical state of spiritual ignorance. As a result, defective thinking leading into illogical conclusions with catastrophic results is wreaking havoc in people's lives. The lines between right and wrong are blurred. In fact, they are nearly gone. The people are losing the ability to know the difference even on the most basic level. That was written 10 years ago. If that was true 10 years ago, how true is it today? Church, I leave you tonight with these thoughts. That it's not enough to rely on our former relationship with God, our former walk with Him. 
we have to stand and fight now. Our nation is on the brink of disaster. And I don't prophesy that. But I clearly see it. And I don't pretend to know everything I need to know, but there are a lot of things I do know. History was one of my minors in college, and I found out something. History always repeats itself. And democracies have a very short shelf life because what happens is the people figure out that they can vote in people that will give them free stuff. For the first time in American history over 240 years, in the 2012 election, for the first time in history, the people who received the free stuff in the United States outnumbered the people who pay for the free stuff. Never happened before. And what we have to remember as Americans, as our nation is specifically not even a democracy, it's a constitutional representative republic. In other words, those people in Washington are supposed to be representing you and me, not doing their own thing. And so it's important that they hear from you. Be nice, but be firm. You should know them. You should know their phone numbers. In my phone, right there in my, my briefcase, I have all of the offices of my representative senators and the White House. I regularly dial them. I regularly leave messages or communicate. I've met them. I haven't met the president, but I've met representatives. I've met other officials. I've been in front of the White House for the last six presidents walking up and down Pennsylvania Avenue. Now you can't do that. But walking in front of the gates and right there at the fence. I've been in the White House several times. I prayed for every president whether I voted for them or not. I pray in the spirit, out loud, on purpose, in public, walking up and down that sidewalk. Really? Yeah. Do you know how many foreign people there are? They don't know what language I'm speaking in. <laughs> and last, last year, a Secret Service agent that was uniformed, he was on a, a, a Segway. And... Uh, he was standing there under this light pole, and he's watching me walking back and forth. And he's, he's observing everything, but he's watching me walking back and forth. And I'm praying in the Spirit. And he says, I catch his eye, and he says, come here. I walked over to him. I said, yes, sir, can I help you? He said, are you Spirit-filled? I said, absolutely. You must be. He said, yeah, I am, but I can't do it on duty out loud like you can, but I do it under my breath all the time. I said, it's good to know you. I have a nephew that served four presidents in the Secret Service. A lot of the rumors that you've heard about previous presidents are true. It's important that we pray for every president, that we pray for every representative. 
It's important that we pray for this attorney general to get the job done. It's important to also lift our voice to them, not just for them. Amen? It is our nation. It's the only one we got. It's the last bastion of Christianity in the world. Did you know that? No other constitution has the language in it that ours does. So let's fight for this country. Let's fight. If you don't want to fight for yourself, fight for your children and your grandchildren. Amen. Now let me finish with this story. I've got to quit. My number two grandson, actually my number one grandson is the oldest. He's in the um, Air Force at Dover Air Force Base. That's where all of the bodies come in of all of our fallen soldiers. My grandson is an air traffic control controller. What has not been reported, but recently, lies were perpetrated that the president has spoken ill of fallen soldiers and called them losers and cowards and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That is a lie. I just talked to my grandson on September 3rd, which was my birthday, he called me. He calls me Papa John. He says, Papa John, I saw the president again. I said, you did? He said, yeah, he came here again. I said, I, I wasn't aware of any deaths. He said, oh, yeah, there, there are deaths all the time. And he's here for every one of them. He's here for every family. He flies in the families for every fallen soldier. My number two grandson is on the West Coast. He's in the Marine Corps. He lost one of his buddies in the amphibious vehicle that went to the bottom of the Pacific outside of San Clemente Island. That was his roommate when he was in boot camp. They flew all eight of those fallen, one Navy sailor, and the rest of them were Marines. They flew them over to Dover where my number one grandson received them on his duty and the president was there to greet them. We hear all kinds of lies. Let's don't believe the lies. Let's make sure that we're praying because when we're praying, God's going to reveal the truth to us. I don't believe I don't believe any of the news till I get a witness. Even on Fox News, I don't believe any of the news. Even on Newsmax, whatever, I don't believe any of it. I believe what I know in my heart. Amen. And from firsthand knowledge. Let's fight for this country. Let's, it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. Our way of life is worth fighting for. So let's contend for the faith and let's use that faith for our marriages, our children, our church, our communities, and our nation. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your scriptures that reveal so much to us of not only how we're to live and conduct our lives, but, Lord, the victories that are there provided by the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we obey your word and as we contend for the faith, 
Lord, you'll lead us to pray for things, speak things, decree and declare things that we would have never done with our natural knowledge. But you lead us to do it by faith. And it affects, it affects things in the natural. Because we're not here by mistake in 2020. We're here by your purpose and your divine providence. We are here for such a time as this. And you've placed the church and the, the church of faith on this planet now for us to rise up and be counted. For us to rise up and be the people of faith that you've called us to be. And Lord Jesus, you said when you would return, you will be looking for faith. You're looking for people that are at work in the field. You're not looking for people that are sidelined in their faith or shipwrecked in their faith. You're looking for people who will stand up and be the church of Jesus Christ in these last days. But also a church of love and concerned and empathy for our fellow man that will reach out and bring them into the kingdom through our walk and our words. Thank you, Lord, for this church, for the beacon of light that it's been all these years. And Lord, you're not finished with this work. And I say this by the Spirit of God, that the glory of this latter house will be greater than of the former. The glory of God upon this work is greater in these last days than it ever has been before in the name of Jesus. Not because of a staff, not because of Pastor Mike and Joan singularly, but because this church rises up and utilizes the things it's been taught all these years. And Lord, we give you glory in advance because you're not coming after a wussified church. You're coming after a glorious, power-filled church. And these last...